Welcome to another fine episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name's Ara, and we have a special guest here tonight. Hi, I'm Tristan. What's up, Tristan? <laughs> Not much. How about you? We're peachy, and we can't wait to hear, uh, along with all of our listeners, um, who are you and why are you here? Okay, sure. Um, Not to put you on the spot or anything. Well, I, I am here to talk. I have a <laughs> feeling Ara knows why you're here. Okay, I know just, why I'm here. And he's just playing to the crowd. Actually, but I just that, wandered in off the street. And that would not be dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a game designer. Um, I've been working in games and simulations since 2010. I currently work at a company called Redacted Studios. Um, I have experience doing 3D, but I also worked in film production as like a PA and a few other things. You can see me in the movie um, the year one as an extra and a few things like that, which are a little bit interesting. Is that the thing with Jack Black? Yes, actually. Uh, it was um, funny. Um, Michael Sarah. Yeah, we, we got to like hang out on set with him and I can pretend that I had like deep conversations with him. But it's uh, wait, it, which one? Oh, actually, um, both of them. But like Jack Black, I was able to say approximately like three words to, and he responded with eye contact. So I felt really special. That's awesome. That. So no words, but definitely eyes. Oh yeah, no, it was all. Well, this eyes. was on the set of Year One, so there weren't a lot of <laughs> <Yes>. words <laughs> to begin with. Um, okay, well that's that's fascinating. Um, I was actually also studios. I was also in a in a horror movie in 2010 that will probably never be released. Um, but I get killed in a variety of uh, violent torturing sequences. So what is so, it? Um, it's a movie called Folklore. Um, I it is available to see trailers of on the internet, but like I think they kind of had some issues with the distribution, and it's it's kind of uh, to be announced release date. All but, right. Wait, yeah. this is a new film? Oh well, it's it's not new in the sense that it's been on hiatus for quite a while, but um, it. It was scheduled to be released between 2011 and 2012. Does, but does this mean that there have been no films named Folklore until 2011? Actually, it seems like there have been a number of things named Folklore, because every time I t- try to search for the website of the film that I was in, I have a hard time finding it. Yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs> that could be part of this the This is issue. like, I had a similar problem when I tried to search for a music group called Worship. <laughs> right, because that's not ever used in it. Very hard to search for on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I have I have friends or had friends in a band at school. The band was called U Y O U. That's also probably the most challenging thing on earth to search for on the internet. Also very difficult. Yeah. So okay, so you've been in a couple uh, low budget films. Yeah. You make some some games. And you work at a company called Redacted, which I think is hilarious because the jokes will just flow as soon as that company shutters. Is, is there any part of the title of that company that has been redacted? Well, I'll, actually, I can't tell you what I do there because all of that information has been redacted. Okay. Well, at least uh, something's been redacted. I would okay. I would be really disappointed <laughs> if nothing was. It actually had another title, but that title was redacted, so they just kept that name. Fair enough. <laughs> That's almost as creative as like 343 and 989. <laughs> right. <laughs> although, although I think I think they really should change their name to Redacted Stew. Redacted Stew. Yeah. Does that it, that could work. Yeah. Does Nine Eight Nine Studios still exist, or did it just switch to Sony? Oh. So wow, the, I don't even recall. They had Nine Eight Nine came to be after they had an internal contest at the at the studio. Really? Like, what should we name ourselves? <laughs> and people, like the the people who worked there, were upset because they submitted names like. I assume potentially interesting names. And then the company was like, no, our address is 989. We're just going to call it 989 Studios. And that 
piss them off. Was that was that an official one of the official entries, or were they just like we don't like any of these names? We're going to. I pick don't the know if it was one of the them. entries. I believe it was simply a all right, screw this response. But I don't actually know because I don't think the person telling me the story knew. Right? How do you know what all of the entries were? <laughs> but I wonder if three four three is this a similar situation where it's just named after the address. Well, I thought 343 was actually a number within the Halo mythology. Might be. Um, I, I, I mean, can't I just, remember. It was like one of the units in Halo's universe. I like that story. What I can tell you is I don't know, but 989, I was told by an employee, and I thought, <laughs> how silly. How silly. Anyway, uh, let's talk. Let's talk about, about games. Now we have so many educated people. Yes, here and, at the and we got a bunch of stuff, uh, as usual, and something we wanted to cover last show that we didn't get to was The Last of Us. Yeah, it's because, a popular game these days. Because you played it on extensively, and Tristan hasn't I, played it. Apparently. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I've been hearing things that sound incredibly great about it, Okay, but I have a tendency to not trust that until I've actually experienced a game. I can't imagine why you wouldn't just completely trust somebody else's completely separate opinion about a game. <laughs> yeah. it, it almost, just to give you my, my thought, uh, it almost perfectly met my expectations really given that i knew that everyone else saying it's amazing best game ever was probably wrong and it's just a very good game and it was very good so were you expecting a specific type of content or was it just the quality bar that you were looking for it it was like i didn't know exactly what to expect in fact i didn't even realize it was like a zombie theme game that's honestly why i like the day before i got it (laughs) When I read more about it, and they're like, oh, there's these zombies things, and it's really cool the way it's scientifically presented, and it's kind of accurate. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that makes it more interesting. That's what, that's what this world needs. It's a s- scientifically accurate and articulate survey of the zombie space. Yeah. Well, it's this, this whole idea of a, you know um, organism that gets in your body and changes your brain a little bit, which is real. Like... Uh, what, what is that thing that cats the give you? that affects ants. There's also one of That is exactly what it's based right. on. Yeah. Right? But there's another one that is in lots and lots of people that cats give you. Uh, Toxoplasmosis. Hmm. Gondi. I don't know exactly the pronunciation. I don't know what language that is. So that's the next zombie game? Is it's going to have cat monsters? Or? No, no, no. So you're, are you aware <laughs> of this? Like, you know how pregnant women aren't supposed to handle, um, like, the litter box cats? Uh, it's it's no, I just all I know is that I shouldn't sit next to them after I eat radioactive iodine. Okay, so I just read an article recently about how really everyone should avoid it, and it's kind of bad for you. But traditionally, it had been thought that if you have it, you're pretty much fine, but you don't want to give it to a baby in your utero. So even if you have it before pregnancy, you're good. Just don't go near them while you're pregnant. Anyway, wait so a minute. Is- so so if I suspect I may have gotten somebody pregnant. Does this mean I should invest in some cat litter? It means that as a, as a the pregnant person should avoid the cat litter. Anyway, here's what it does. So <laughs> the, the toxoplasma, like you get toxoplasmosis, and uh, well, let, let me back up for a second. If you're a rat and you have toxoplasmosis, then you are suddenly not uh, disturbed by cats and you're attracted to their urine smell. And so basically you want to go hang out with cats so that cats will then eat you and the toxoplasma will go into the cat, which is uh, the ultimate like living space for this parasite. It's where it wants to be. And then it poops it out. You hang out with it as a rat, and you continue the cycle. However, in humans, it does a few different things, but primarily makes you more interested in cats. So the people who are like, oh, kitties are so cute, like basically me, 
um, probably chock full of the toxoplasma. Wait a minute. So you're saying that people who have cats and have cat litters can only become more attracted to cats? I'm saying that this this parasite in humans makes us more and more interested in cats or more endeared to cats in women. It also apparently, and I don't know that there's a direct causation involved here, but there, there have been studies that show a correlation between uh, women who have it and an interest in buying shoes um, in men. There's something else and I can't remember what it was. I wish I did. Um, but women there, there is a correlation in buying shoes and having it. And does it make anyway. women really interested in making awkward dating videos about cats? Uh, no, no, that was faked. <laughs> but, um, so in the ants, in the ants who get this, uh, this cordyceps thing, which is what last of us is based on, it makes the ants want to just go hang out in leaves on the underside of a leaf and just not do anything else. Just I go think, there I and think they're cows, confusing right? the leaves for cats. No, that's what's happening. No. So ants, are the leaves you as the player? Don't correct me. Anyway, <laughs> ants who get this very real thing go hang out on the underside of a leaf and they grab on like the jaws of life and they just hang out. They don't do anything else. They just give up. And then the cordyceps, which is like a fungus, right? A mushroomy thing, just eat away at your insides and eventually burst out of the ant in these long like stick things where the spores eventually are released to go find more ants and do the same thing over and over and over. Uh, and these cordyceps go attack. Like There's, there's like 2,000 or thousands of different versions of these cordyceps, and they all attack a specific species. One of them is a tarantula, where it doesn't cause the tarantula to do anything special, like go to a spot and wait, but it does just eat at it and then grow out of it, like this crazy <laughs> farm of mushrooms, where it, again, does the same thing, produce the spores. So in the game The Last of Us, there is one that attacks humans, which does not currently exist as far as we know but could perhaps mutate wait is this the spoiler of the game it makes everybody like cats to an insane degree no, the cats and that's where society and, and then the society the cats is not cordyceps the cats is toxoplasmosis it's a totally <laughs> different thing but there's a lot of wait whoa it all makes sense now it, the, the whole of society will go down the tubes because we're all going to turn into cat ladies and have 25 cats in our no, houses i didn't realize this was the theme of the show no anyway cordyceps in the game Attack humans and make them very aggressive, which is where they're – at that point, it breaks down from reality because this thing doesn't exist in real life. And it basically gives them zombie-like qualities where they're really aggressive. They try to bite you, and when they bite you, you get it. And within a couple hours, you start showing signs of turning into – anyway. Well, I played the game. Such is, is the story of Last of Us. For about an hour and ten minutes. Which is your unfortunately about 40 minutes of just intro. Right. I played some actual game. Um, I mean, I did have to sit through a lot of intro, too. But uh, so this is – okay. So what we're going to talk about because we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, so we'll do more when we come back. But so we're going to compare my experience to Alon's experience. And also here's uh, – I'm trying to figure out what am I going to say in just like one minute. I'm, I'm actually – okay. You, have to, you can just this. tell me. Do you want to summarize it with basically did you like it or dislike it? Well, that's all I could stomach. I mean, if I liked that, it would have kept playing. Okay. Interesting. I, as I said, thought it was very good. I played all the way through, 24 hours straight. I've never done that before, but I knew that it was only about 24 hours, so I was willing to sort of like, oh, I'll push through. It'll be done soon. Did you eat right. during that time? Uh, my wife was on breakfast and shoved it in front of my face, and I was like, all right, cool, pause, and I ate in like three minutes a whole plate of food. I was like, all right, I'm going to get back to this. And she then napped on the couch, and I finished the game. 
And you successfully avoided deep vein thrombosis. Uh, yeah, well, I shift around a lot. Anyway, it's break time. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You are still listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And uh, just a reminder to visit UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology. Let me ask you, Tristan. Yes. How did you get into the game industry? Was it through uh, self-education? Was it through studying at a school like UAT or well, another? Well, so actually, I, I went and received my bachelor's degree in game art and animation from the University of Advancing Technology. Oh, seriously? So, yeah. So uh, how, so how old plot. are you? Um, I'm 25. Okay, but I usually so, don't answer that question. I don't know why I jumped to that so quickly. Oh, that's fine. So it was UAT. Because <laughs> prior to being UAT, it was UACT. Advancing, advancing computer technology. And nobody wants to say UACT. Yeah, I guess so. UACT is so much better. So anyway, uh, they are a sponsor of the show. I did not realize you were a graduate. Yes. But there you go. Proof's in the pudding. I always point out, I went or I didn't. He got a job in the games industry. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are many others who did. So anyway, getting back to the topic at hand, the last Okay, of so I'm, I'm a little surprised because... We both very much share the same values about games, you and I, Alon. Uh, well, for the most part. And you like racing games far more than I think is, is appropriate. Well, we don't have to get that precise. I mean, what, by that I mean we both like mechanical things in games. We both actually like gameplay. We both play games mostly for gameplay. Isn't that right? Yes. I would say most often. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a little surprised because this seems to be such a narrative-heavy game. And let me tell you one of the reasons... There's there's several, but the first reason that I stopped playing was that despite all of the accolades that this game has gotten, particularly in terms of story, I just I just didn't care. I just didn't care about the characters. I play I gave it for an hour and a half, right? No, not even an hour and a half. Ten minutes and an hour. And the whole time I was like, okay, there's some characters, they're doing some stuff, okay, they're and I'm just, I was just like, whatever. I, they were not able to engage me in an hour and, a, and ten minutes in the narrative. Well, it's kind of funny when you think about that because movies are generally between an hour and a half and two hours long in total. And yeah. so games are trying to tell that kind of same narrative story in a very linear fashion but in a much more drawn-out way. And that's one of the things that I think often kind of misses the mark in games like that. And again, I haven't played it, so I can't say specifically about The Last of Us. But I think we're expected to have a much greater attention span for a more drawn-out and unfiltered version of the same content that you'd receive in movies. 
And I think that's something that a lot of people just don't really have an interest in, and I think understandably so. So what's interesting to me is is it what you're saying now is why the cinematic portions of games that aren't narrative are really important. Um, because if if not, so here's here's an example. At the beginning of the game, I don't remember the exact sequence when you first start, but basically when you first get control of you know the characters in the game, you whether or not it's the very first thing you do or very, very early on, you're playing a character who, for the rest of the game, does not turn out to be the main character. Sure. But um, you control this person just walking around a house, sort of just trying to find what's going on. And there's very little you can do. You can sort of walk around, pick up a thing. And that's characteristic of the beginning of a game where you're learning controls right. and stuff. But, you know, I probably spent 15 minutes before I got to the next plot element because I just want to see, okay, I'm going to walk around this room and how do, how does this game work? Like, oh, something glows, so I can pick that up. Not all games have things glowing that I should pick up, right? right? Can I just click on anything? and That sort of thing. So yeah, well, I, I did that from, very same thing. Yeah, so when you say you spend an hour and ten minutes, it's like, well, the beginning of the game is really drawn out because you're trying all of these things. You're learning the mechanics. You're learning the fundamentals. And so I think an hour and ten minutes at the very beginning is different than an hour and ten minutes at another part of the game. Yeah, but th- that much, regardless of how much time I spent wandering around, which really wasn't all that much... I was not I was not compelled or interested in this story enough after an hour and ten minutes. And I'm not arguing that point. Like that's it has an obligation to draw you in. Yeah. But why did I mean you it sounds like you were just already like committed right from the start. So I mean I, did you care about the story and if you did, at what point did you start to care? Um I mean very, very early on. I should I should qualify by saying, you know, if you're if you're asking was I emotionally attached to these characters and like did I cry at some point? Is I've like, heard a number of people no, say no, that. No, let no, me, let me clarify, okay? All I'm really asking for is at what point did you care enough that you wanted to keep playing to see what happened next? In this particular case, I knew before I got the game, just, just based on what I'd heard other people say, I was like, I want to play this game. I, wanted, I specifically went in wanting to play a narrative-style game because I had an interest. Like, I, I was at the end of a vacation, we all know I went to Iceland, right? And I wanted to come back and have like a do nothing for a few days situation, but one where I could also do it with my wife. And so I wanted her to be sort of engaged in whatever game I was playing. And so I was like, this would be a great game for us to sit down and just play through for a couple of days because you'll enjoy the story and I'll enjoy the gameplay part of it. It's a good compromise. So I went in from the get-go knowing what it was and knowing that it wasn't going to be my usual like style of play. Uh, but I do enjoy that. Sometimes, like when I know that's what I'm getting into, and also when I know it's it's finiteness, I knew that this would take me about 24 hours just because that's what I'd read, and um, and I had a innate interest in the story, just you know, the survivor angle, of, but not like too zombieish. Like I, yes, that's I what everybody that wants into. these days. See, yeah, that's zombies, sort of, but not too zombieish. It's sort of yeah, like that's the weird thing about like the popular culture of games and how it's kind of taken this one tiny subsect of movie and general culture and just kind of beaten it into the ground and like I, I can't comment on the last of us but specifically zombies and last man standing post-apocalyptic stories seem to be so prolific in games generally that it's it's almost like we have this weird gamer fixation on the idea of being the only one left i don't know if that's because we're like no it's or... just the thing that came after the <laughs> well, western taking that even right. a step further right so there's definitely a lot of zombie culture right now right everything is getting on the zombie bandwagon but you'll notice there's also there there seems to be this um this subset of that is the zombie world but after the zombies came to be rather than like 
the the first few decades of zombie material were all okay this is just the zombie story that we want to show which is the day they came and what happened when people dealt with that situation but now we've got like world war z which is based on a book that takes place years and years after the zombie attack although the movie is like the day it happened or right yeah, around it's a little it bit different from the but source the, material. the book is that um and apparently very good this story all aside from the very beginning which like the first hour all takes place 20 years after the zombie attack um i got past uh the past section okay. by the way. well Just there's, so there's another know. thing um what else was it warm bodies was a really good movie right. that came out recently that was based on the zombie apocalypse after it took place and now the living situation after everyone's now used to it and so that's it's just interesting that that seems to be what a lot of things are going to because that's more interesting than just the breakout. Yeah, a lot of outbreak, people. Excuse me. A lot of people consider like horror in general to be kind of a lens for popular culture's concerns. So, like, I don't know if because um, when Romero was first doing Night of the Living Dead, it was a comment pretty heavily on communism in the same way that things like body snatchers were where it's about the idea of the other that lives next door that could be your friend and then suddenly realize they're not because they're a traitor or a spy are you saying he was um, commenting about communism um for what, what i understood there was at least an element of that i mean dawn of the dead was more about um there was that one was more about consumerist culture which is why it was set in a mall um and it, a lot of these things end up being popular because of things that are very present in like the public mind space, even if they were not necessarily fully intended that way initially. That's often how you can judge what things become popular. So it's kind of funny that we see that like now we're interested in like living with zombies. I don't know what that means if we're just like trying to be kumbaya and all. No, together. I just I really think they're running. Out. They're running out of zombie subtitles. That, that could also be just as. <laughs> low, anyway, let me let me accurate. tell you some of what I liked about this game. Like, forget about the the zombie premise. Um, yeah, let's move on from that. So we, we talked about narrative and how, like, I prefer to stay away from the story heavy and I like the action stuff. When it's done well, though, yeah. I like it. And this is this game, I, I don't want to say it necessarily hits the sweet spot, but it does a really good job of mixing the two. And one thing that I noticed, there's a specific spot in the game where um, I want to avoid giving away specifics, but there's a point in the game where, you know, if you walk over here where you don't need to walk... Um, you come across a physical object where um, one of the lead characters starts talking about this particular object and what its relevance in terms of storyline. And if you don't walk there, which you totally don't need to do, you don't hear this entire monologue of hers. Okay. But it it adds to the story if you do that, right? And presumably there's other parts of the game that I did that you didn't have to do. In fact, there's one part I know that I just totally skipped by, and unfortunately I couldn't go back and do it, so I don't know what happened in that part. But there are parts of the game where you just learn about stuff, and it's because of your activity in in it. So you can play the game or you can hear more story, and it just does a good job of making it feel natural because it's like, okay, I'm walking to this part of the forest, and now she starts talking about this thing, and that puts me deeper in the story and lets me learn more about it, but I don't necessarily have to. And it's not, it's not solely contained within the cinematics, just shoving it down your throat. It feels much more just part of the experience, and I really liked that, that it wasn't necessarily forced. Okay, so this is interesting because my first question is how do you know – the parts that were optional, how do you know that they were really optional? Um, because, and I had the same question to myself after I thought about talking about this, but um, there was never a time, I believe, that I had to go down that particular path. Maybe, okay, maybe so, it was so expected you were, that people would. So you were basically 
you were like, okay, well, I know that I can go down that way and that's the main road, but I want to go and see what's over here. And just from that volition, you knew that you were you were taking extra time to discover something else about the yeah, game. Yeah, like right? a, this 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 game uh, has a, a heavy focus on foraging. So there's a lot of like you just scrounge around, you search and one thing I didn't like is that you just find ammo in the middle of the forest sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty lame. But coming across this particular thing that we came across was story relevant and made sense that it was there, right? Um, and so there's probably a great expectation that you will come across this thing, but you certainly don't have to. And that's something that I liked because they could have just put it in a cinematic, right? They could have made it part of the required timeline, right? and they chose not to. Well, and how do you feel about the parts that you missed then? All the optional ones that you could have... Uh, scene and had your story uh, enriched, but you game missed. Um, I like the idea that that could happen. I don't think it actually happened much. Let's we can talk about that more. We'll be right back. back after the break i want to remind everyone before we continue we have a website but i don't really care about it go to our facebook page it's slash chatterbox video game radio uh, that's where we actually actually interact with people if you want the episodes and stuff that's when you go to the website chatterbox game show um during the break just now i was asking asking tristan um you know what types of games he actually makes uh i, I don't need specifics about what he's working on right now but he pointed out something that I, I want you to repeat now, Tristan. What type of game do you generally work on? So the, the games I generally work on in my personal developments specifically are horror and like survival themes, um, which is one of the reasons it's very unfortunate that I haven't had a chance to play The Last of Us because I would have been really interested in having the discussion with you guys and being a little bit more informed about it. I'd venture to say that you should perhaps be embarrassed that you haven't even played this game. I, I can only say in my defense that I've been working when I haven't been playing games. So um, I can at least say that. But um, well, but no, it's, it's something I really I have on my short list of games to play. You are welcome to come back next week and discuss your viewpoint after you've had a chance to play it or whenever that happens. Um, sure. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, it's, it is harder. But we're talking about things that I think could be relevant anyway. Um, or things that you might have thoughts on. Yeah, I, so, I definitely have general opinions on the way that games approach horror, for sure. Um, yeah. I just wish that I could be more fair to The Last of Us. Yeah. So The Last of Us has, I was saying earlier, um, that like it's not, it's not too much zombie. Here, here's my point, though, uh, going back to the thing right before the break. Okay. You're not, you don't know what you missed. That's true. However, due to my, and something that's probably common to a lot of players of this game, due to my, like... Uh, desire to be completely comprehensive and everything like every little inch like i'm confident i saw everything except in the case of this one particular part where in an effort to see what would happen if i went over somewhere that i was clearly not where i was supposed to go because she's like hey come over here right you go this way and we'll go this way and then i went 
the other way to where the other guys went. Yeah. And once I got through a specific door or trigger, um, that other thing that I was supposed to have done was just completed. And the character that I was supposed to follow was just, you know, she made it to where I was. And so I never got to go and see <laughs> what I should have done, huh. which well, I clearly was not key, right, <laughs> to the story. <laughs> it was probably just go here, maybe find a gun or find some ammo. Or Yeah, how many things that you do in a game just from a minute-to-minute basis actually do matter to the story, though? I mean, like, when you think about a movie that's so much shorter than a game, like, how much of the game is just padding to, like, make sure that you're playing 24 hours instead of two? Yeah, well, that's what this <laughs> game is. It's, it's definitely, you know, bits of story that are run through, you know, cinematics that are, you know, broken up by by shooting or or, you know, running or something. Um, this sounds like an excellent segue into the mechanics. Yeah, that's clearly what it is. It's you're going to do your run and gun stuff or search around until you find the place you're supposed to be or the thing you're supposed to get uh, until you do the next really important thing. And then, should, I mean, there's no, no doubt about that. That's the point. Now, it would be more interesting to me if what I was talking about before the break about how they can introduce narrative elements within the context of the action portion of the game if there was a better way of doing that so that you didn't have to reduce it to cinematics. Well, you know what? Pe- people have been complaining about that for, I mean, I'm going to say decades, but that's how long video games have been around. But they have been complaining for that long. Since the original Ninja Gaiden, right? Yeah. yeah but- and, and the thing is, uh, it, I mean, it's funny, right? Because I've spent a lot of time thinking about the subject. You can't actually do everything at once. And that's one of the reasons. I, I don't want to get into the specifics of that because that's another four-hour discussion. But... It's, I mean, yeah, if you have a game that's so story heavy, there's going to be some things that they're just going to deliver through just exposition. Yeah, they have to. Because even if they, they have to, as no, much, no matter how much you wish that you could be playing cinema, you cannot, because if you're playing, you are not doing other things. Yeah. Right? And, it, and I think that's, I'm going to say that's mostly because of cadence. Like, what makes the story interesting? It's not just, no, but it's not just that. There's a specific, this is a, I'm just going to, I'm not going to go deeper than this. I'm just going to leave it here, okay? There's a very specific, the specific problem is one of cognitive load, is that if you're, if you're doing this activity, you can't be doing other things at the same time. Like, it's literally a logistical problem. You mean, like, paying attention? It's yes. It's a matter of how much attention that you can pay towards one thing at once. Well, that's a huge problem with emotional connections with characters in games because the narrative generally is telling you that you're supposed to care about this one character who's caring for this other character. But then you well, like- that's that's interesting because also in, in on top of what you just said, the mechanical action of play actually right. fights against that component. Almost directly. every game, yeah, it does it necessarily. I it doesn't think. have to. I don't think. I don't think that's like a problem that is inherent to games. I, I think it's. I think it's like maybe ninety percent inherent. Let, actually, let's see. I, but I think that that comes from like the structure, though, because I mean, if you look at a game like Amnesia, um, Amnesia doesn't fight your fear with the mechanics because the mechanics all hinder your ability to react. So you don't have any weapons. You don't have any real recourse. All you can do is essentially be afraid and wallow in your fear. So you experience things like reacting to small sounds that you hear in a house because you think that it could be this creature coming after you. But when you have a a machine gun and you're going through that exact same kind of narrative experience, the creaking of a door is almost like a perk up to like gain more XP or something. And uh, there's even in games like very narrative-driven games. Like, I know the Uncharted games kind of had this problem of, like, you're supposed to be caring about characters, but then you're also supposed to be focusing on, like, getting headshots. And if you're worried about the state of a character in a story, 
um, it kind of needs to stay that as the primary focus of your mind when you're playing. I okay, so, so I'm going to respond to that. So that's a good point. The interesting thing, I think, happens where a lot of the activities that map to interesting mechanical gameplay procedures and experiences just so happen to be the ones that, by and large, um, aren't very well compatible with the kinds of things that you want somebody uh, to feel an experience as part of a narrative. Right, like aiming and combat mechanics and using weapons. And yeah, like that. exactly. I, I agree. And there's an example that I've been sort of holding my tongue, trying, waiting until I found a moment to mention this. So you, you said Uncharted, right? Right. There's a part that I remember in Uncharted 2, and this is very symbolic of, I, I think, of the whole series, where, like, um, there's a train one of the the parts of the train is hanging over the ledge and you're hanging and you have to like find your way to climb up to the top and inevitably when you get to this one rung of a ladder or something it shifts and you almost fall again or it forces right. you to fall a couple rungs until you go up again and you find a new path so it's it's building sort of narrative into this interactive element but the way i look at it is like you know, it's just, it's arduous, right? I'm going up, oh, right. I have to figure out what's the next room to go up and what's the next. And I'm like, if you just put that in a cinematic, you would be able to set the tempo properly. You'd be able to set what exactly happened. See, I kind of disagree with, with that, though, because I think that, like, I agree that that is an arduous experience, but I think it's an arduous because of the lack of agency. And in a video game, that's a problem whether you're watching a cinematic or whether it's just a scripted sequence that you're technically playing That's through. That's the thing, because it's scripted, because I didn't get to choose how I did right. it. Like, I had to go this to this to this, and then I had to drop because that was scripted, and then I had to go from here to here to here, to, and then I'm up. Right, but I don't think the answer should be cutscenes. I think it should be, like, actually giving you systems that guide that. Like, if, if Nathan Drake had a weight like an actual weight floating point variable or something like that, where when you jump, you get a certain amount of momentum, and that momentum determines whether or not you break a surface based on how tense it is. Like Something like that would give you a little bit more decision-making because you could like choose how long you hold a button and if you release it at wow, the right you, time. You guys just said 15 things I want to argue with. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm My just head saying, is spinning with the amount of argumentation that I want to so give right now. Part of me says, yeah, I want to interact with everything. Like like Aro was saying, like as much as you want to be playing the, the, the movie, it doesn't work that well. I think to really get it across properly and to have the narrative... Um, conveyed in the way that the developers or the storytellers want to convey it it's unlikely to be done without a cinematic however if what you're suggesting were like if people actually built it if they could make it a fun like tangible uh not not so linear experience yeah um then yeah that that would actually be interesting it's just it's a sweet spot that people Uh, don't really find. Well, Tristan, I mean, you bring up a worthy concern. Uh, Here's another concern that I feel like uh, gets ignored a lot of times, and it's it's pretty subtle, right? Here's the problem with the scenario that you described, Alon, is that when... So so we have have something that could be depicted as cinematic and you're actually playing through it, right? The problem is is that when you're actually playing through that, an example like that specific one, you you're thinking about it mechanically so what happens is that a lot of the emotional content of what's depicted becomes reduced to a mechanical puzzle and so your your frame of mind is actually in a completely different place and you start thinking about things 
that would have never entered your head in a purely cinematic situation. Except hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sure. For example, and then you can talk. <laughs> For example, okay, so I went up this ladder and it broke and then I dropped down somewhere else, right? Or wh- whatever the scenario is. You are actually, as you're playing it, whether you l- consciously want to or not, you are building a mental model of the interactive puzzle or situation right. as you play. And the construction of that map in your head is so categorically a different, not only a mental process, but you're just such, you're just such in a completely different place right. emotionally when you're doing that kind of activity versus when you're watching someone do it. Sure. I, I wanted to give an example of a time where I thought somebody um, actually implemented a mechanic very simply that was effective in the way of not distracting you while still providing what I think they intended. Like, yeah, let's um, hear it. In Far Cry 2, um, did, did you guys play Far Cry 2? I played nope. a lot of the original Far Cry, but not okay. really Far Cry 2. I only played Close Cry. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I... Um, I think Far Cry 2 is definitely a very flawed game. There's, there's a lot of things that are wrong with it, and Clint Hawking, the developer, has expressed a lot of his lament at some of those issues. But like, um, one, of, one of the things that it did is it had very simple mechanics that elicited um, kind of panic responses at moments that were appropriate. Like, um, all guns eventually wear down and can jam in the middle of combat. And the only thing you have to do to unjam a gun is press the reload button a few times. It's not a very complex interaction, but basically what you're you're in the middle of firing a gun at a combatant and then right. suddenly you realize you can't anymore. Right. And there's this moment of extreme panic when you realize that you don't know what to do and rapidly pressing the X button in that situation is actually fairly analogous to what you would be doing if you were trying to unjam a gun. And I think some of that comes down to like the framing of that mechanic. Because like obviously that's a very combative situation and like it's difficult to do that in other examples. Right. We'll be right back, folks. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back once again. It's Chatterbox, and we're still talking about The Last of Us. And the website for the University of Advancing Technology 
which is uat.edu. Um, before we get back into The Last of Us and, and continue on this for basically an entire show. <laughs> um, I should have done my homework. Yeah. Did, did you pre-order a PS1 or an Xbox, whatever? You mean uh, an Xbox PS4 One? or, or an PS4? Xbox One? <laughs> a game no, box? I, I pre-ordered a PS1, did actually. you pre-order the game box? Yes. Um, um, no, I haven't done it yet. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get them, if nothing more than for research of the market. They're um, running out, my friend. They say that they're all gone. The reason I bring it up <laughs> is because it break. is... That's it is never happened before. ...rapidly approaching the Christmas season. As you know, we now... That's true. It's July. So in it's July. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while you're prepping to pre-order those systems and order all of your games and hardware and things from Amazon, I want to remind you about helpchatterbox.com. But that's all I'll mention. I'll leave it at that. Um, we're talking about The Last of Us. And now that those uh, housekeeping's out of the way, I can stop uh, picking my nose hairs and we can continue talking about The Last of Us. That is a deal, <laughs> sir. So <clears throat> where, where, did it, where, where did we leave this argument? Well, well, Ara was talking about expressive this is This is actually really interesting, right? So uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because yes. I've been thinking about it for a while. We've never talked about this on the show, right? And this is the question of, in general, not just in The Last of Us, how does your mechanical activity map to whatever the context of either either like the context of the narrative is or like just what is happening in terms of the story or basically like what's going on thematically right yeah. any of those things like how does how does the actual mechanics map to it and the funny thing is is that um in i would say the vast majority of games the me- the mechanics are actually happening uh, they are actually – they don't even try to be mapped to the uh, narrative component. They're no. actually completely different. Like, for example, um, I don't know, pick any uh, match three game, right? <laughs> Deep narratives in those. Well, look, we're not talking about depth. Right. Sure. We're talking about the mapping, right? So in those games, I mean, what's the mechanical play? Match three, right? right? And you can see the same mechanic like Bejeweled. Well, yeah. Okay, so there's no narrative there. But, okay, like in Candy Crush Saga, there is a very, very light narrative of candy canes, candy land type things, right? Right. Uh, in Puzzle and Dragons, it's another match three game, but it's about you're in a dungeon. I, I have a little bit of an objection to use of the word narrative, though, because it's more like a skin than a narrative. Like, so you, what... You can, Make something look like something, but that doesn't necessarily. Well, in in this context, because these games right. narratives are very light, all sure. they don't have a lot more in terms of narrative than skin. But there's cutscenes in Candy Crane, <laughs> right. so don't give me. It's not just the skin, okay? okay. <laughs> don't give me that. Anyway, this is a. I think this is a very nice, like, reduced example of the right. kind of thing we're talking about. Now, this is funny because I've read pieces um, about game design that have actually praised mutually opposing sides of this, right? Sure. One side being, uh, which is I think kind of what you're arguing for, Tristan, which is like, okay, it's always good, or at least at the face of it, it is a good thing to do to map your mechanical action to your narrative well. So I... Well, can uh, I, can not, I no, wait, okay. I'm not done yet. The other side is that, and it's been argued, I think, just as well on the other side, if not better, is that you can actually hurt your game if you try so hard to map your physical activity 
with the narrative activity. I, I think that for from my perspective, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the game in the first place. Um, because so like my interest in horror stems from the fact that I I find a, a, an appeal in games that are trying to create a feeling, not a narrative per se, but like an emotional response or a reaction, a contextual reaction to an experience. Okay, so we're going to go off on a tangent, but I'm really intrigued. Okay. And, and I'm going to challenge you even further. Sure. Because I'm getting excited now. Okay. <laughs> Why do you want... It, you, correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but it sounds like you're saying that what you want to do is you just want to affect certain states and emotions in people. Um, well, it's not just that. It's not just as a creative, also as an, a consumer of media. Um, like that's what, The reason that I watch movies yeah. is very tied up in my desire to have an experience that is unknown to me in some way. And okay. not necessarily to make me grow, but that's a factor. But to, so that I can have an experience that is very affecting and significant. And I think games are a perfect kind of model for that because they. Well, we all want to have significant experiences, right? And but I mean, like, aside from the topics of like fun or challenge or mastery, I I want to be in a space where I can explore possibilities, and that's something that I find very infrequently in games, but is really kind of like what I would consider the holy grail for my kind of pursuits in games. Like, what what do you mean? I'm Um, no idea. I'm wondering how that relates to the idea of mapping. We uh, I think it relates almost entirely to mapping, though, um, because the gameplay experience is not particularly analogous to real life. I mean, we do things like motion controls and things that are trying to mimic something that we do in the real world, but those are often pretty poor facsimiles. Um, so, like, mapping is really the way of hitting the same parts of your brain that kind of correlate to the feeling that you would be having in that moment. So, like, if you're Tensely gripping a controller that more closely models an experience of tension than it does of sadness. And I think that like the way that you interface with that game really deeply affects the way that you react on an emotional level. Okay, so let me ask you this. The tank-style controls in Resident Evil? Well, those are horrible. But they do have a strange advantage. Well, well you don't know what I'm asking you. Sure, yet, sure. Go ahead. So do you think those were a good mapping to the type of game that it was? In the sense that it produced helplessness, I think it was actually somewhat effective. Because when you saw a single zombie in a corridor, um, the, the problem with like a, a mouse and keyboard or a normal shooter mechanic is that it is almost overly good at representing the ability to fire a weapon. So when you're in a real-life situation, you're probably going to be a lot less accurate than any Call of Duty player would like to be. So games that do something that is actually completely contrary to real life but represents a kind of frustration or misuse of a tool can kind of straddle a a line where they could either be doing something that effectively mimics something that can't be mimicked by more effective controls or they might just end up producing frustration in really small areas that had nothing to do with what you're intending to do. And I think in Resident Evil, it tended to lean more towards the the latter because of people trying to figure out how to use an analog stick and that not really correlating. And also, I mean, tank-based controls are just not very accessible No, in the but, first place. But when you compare like the new Resident Evil games to the old Resident Evil games, yeah. I, I don't think it's entirely fair to say that it's a control problem because I don't think it really is. But new Resident Evil games don't even remotely approach horror. 
And the old ones kind of did that by as a byproduct of being hard to play and hard to access. So I would have moments where I was genuinely terrified that I was about to die. And the game actually did that without being particularly elegant at communicating narrative or atmosphere because I simply was dragging my foot across the ground and there was a creature that I couldn't get past easily in front of me. And the problem is that I think that requires a huge suspension of disbelief because you have to accept that the controller is making you feel a certain way for a completely wrong reason. And Yeah, like, don't you think it's more likely that people will just be will just tell themselves, why is this so hard to control? I give up. Right. Well, and actually, that's what I think is so interesting about games like Amnesia. Because Amnesia, actually, um, Thomas Grip, uh, one of the designers... A game I've never played. Well, now you know what it's like because I haven't played Last of Us yet. <laughs> but, um, no, so Amnesia, like, it, it's really interesting because uh, Thomas Grip was talking about this in his GDC talk. I think it was in 2011. Um, but he was, uh, he was saying that, like, the game cheats to high heaven to give you the experience that you want, but in a very subtle way. Like, for example, um, the AI characters will often actually know that you're there, but not react as if they do, and only come to, like, an inch from you and sniff the air and then leave, even though all of the code is telling them exactly where you are. And rather than attacking you, they give you that feeling of being right on the cusp of experiencing a deadly encounter when really there's not too much of a risk of it. That actually sounds cool. I wouldn't consider that cheating at all. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of that weird sort of like game developer te- cheating, but like, yeah. No, I no, think- no, I wouldn't even call it game developer cheating. I mean, as long as everything works by consistent rules that right. the player can understand. Yeah, no, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call it cheating either, but I think it's one of those things that people have, in the 30-some years that we've been doing this, we've sort of developed kind of techniques for accomplishing that, and I think that's something that's kind of um, mis- uh, misplaced in a lot of action games because action games try to make the game easier by simply reducing the challenge. And what more, I think, creative games try to do is they try to put you in the emotional sweet spot and avoid the point where it gets cut off through death or extinction. Yeah, that's, and, that's true. Let, let, me, uh, let me bring it back, though. Sure. Uh, so we have we have a couple minutes now, some minutes. We added and, some time to the clock, and uh, I want to make sure that we talk about some of the mechanics, some because this is actually also a really big reason why I stopped playing. Really? Yes. Okay. And I, I'll have to elaborate. I'm really curious about this. So I think I played about three what I would consider like legitimate action scenes in the hour and ten minutes I spent in The Last of Us. The beginning walking around wasn't I wouldn't count right. I, agreed. So there's one there I think there were two scenes where basically there's just shooting gameplay, right? And they're pretty I mean they're pretty good with the shooting gameplay. I'll admit that I do actually. not remember the action scenes at the beginning of the game. Okay. Well, I mean you're just so they were really you're memorable. Just, you're just shooting at people and taking cover and uh going out of your cover when you have to shoot. That's and, totally you know, a fetish of games now. Like it's a normal gameplay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a conventional thing, right? Sure. And, I mean, it was, it was quite well done. I mean, the whole, the whole game is quite well done for whatever it is. There was, so there was a shooting scene, and then there was also one escape scene that I had to do, right? So the escape scene, you're just running, and there's things that are, you know, looking like they might threaten you, and you have to run away. There's something chasing you. You know something's chasing you. And then every once in a while, there's some kind of zombie, or I guess they're not zombies yet, but some kind of scary thing that comes out at you, and you have to avoid them. 
right? So through trial and error, because I was playing around with it, because this is what happens once you introduce a mechanical sequence to a narrative game. I was trying to like just play around with the boundaries of the sequence. And then so I noticed, okay, well, if I stop running, then I die and I have to start over, right? Because, okay, okay now, now, now that I've tried to stop, now I know something's really chasing me because I can't see behind me. If I, for example, uh, don't, you know, if I loiter too long or go to one of those things that look scary, they all kill me, same thing happens, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is that the, the mechanical part of, the thing about these types of sequences that really kills me in terms of enjoyment is that as soon as I play them for even a modicum of time, it's just thoroughly apparent to me that I'm just supposed to, you know, hold up and walk towards this or do it over. And it's just it, it was it's just an insipid kind of thing well, yeah, for it, me that, that narrative games rely on a lot. So I that's think one thing. something that is interesting about that um, because, like, games want you to have the feeling of being attacked or being chased or being threatened. Yeah, but see, like, once you... Once you, once you die, once you experience that and you realize where the boundaries are, right. like, when you realize that, well, actually, this is not an t- intense experience, it's just a line with booby traps on the side that are represented yeah, you, by Yeah, you have a completely you. different mental model now right. of the situation, don't you? Let me, let me tell you how I reacted to that. So okay. I, I am the same way as you, right? And so it sort of breaks the game a little bit because I'm not feeling... I feel like I'm not experiencing what the developers wanted me to experience. Like, a normal person wouldn't be checking out every little inch of this and just get pissed off when a zombie bugs him because he wants to go look behind this car <laughs> over here, Right. Um, that's my experience. Got to see every little thing that's going on. Okay, can I interrupt you there for a second? Let me finish the thought first. Okay. Uh, we just keep shutting you down today. Um, <laughs> and so in this game specifically, because I, I haven't played a game like this in a long time, I thought to myself, you know what? I want to experience it the way, for the most part, that the developers intended. So I'm going to just find, like in, a, in the escape situation at the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to find that route and I'm going to do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel fearful which I normally wouldn't, right? I'm just going to like sort of allow myself to feel it and go the way the developers want me to go. Yeah, I should I should qualify what I said by saying that like I wasn't intentionally trying to break anything. My suspension of disbelief just broke the first time I died, and then I wanted to explore and see what was going yeah, on. Yeah, so I, I think that like what you said was interesting because you said you're not like the normal person who plays, and I think like from the experience I've ever had of getting non gamers to play games is that they are much more like that than they are like normal gamers who just accept that they can see boundaries and don't like observe them. Um, because you're saying that most people are like me. Most and people are like you in that they, they are, are staring at things they're not supposed to, and they're like moving around the space in a very undirected, unguided way. Because most people don't have the lexicon of gameplay, who when they're not gamers, to actually say, okay. This door is obviously one I can enter because it has a door handle on it, but these doors are just a solid texture on a flat plane, so I'm not even going to try. Like, we do all those things subconsciously as gamers every moment of every game. But normal people, and I, I mean qualify it normal, but like normal non-gaming people actually don't interface with most games, heavily scripted games particularly, at all the way that developers would like them to. And that's part of why games are so narrowly niched. Well, either way, I think as someone who th- who thinks about the development of a game, like becomes very meta every time I'm playing something. Yeah, it it certainly ruins the experience for me. But I think that and that I, happens I decided, to other people too. Well, like less less thoughtful. I don't people. think I'm unique. Right. But, um, I just I decided. You know what? I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna just I'm gonna let it happen. Right. 
I want to do what they wanted because I, I want to experience that narrative element. Whereas normally I do all of these things to break it. Yeah, that's, that's unintentionally fair break. That's fair like, enough. I find it interesting, right? So you are you're enduring something so that you can enjoy the other part of it, right? I guess there's thresholds on that anywhere because, like, I could watch a movie and complain about how I don't like the fact that they change the hairstyle slightly between shots, or like if somebody picks up a fork and they have a different food in the fork when they set it down. Yes, but um, but in this case, right, right. the two different things sure. are mechanical well, gameplay and narrative. What was good right. about this game is that both parts were good. Like, I appreciated the story for what it was. I liked it. It was yeah. well done. I also liked the action sequences. I mean, there's bugs here and there, and there's some bits I didn't like, but um, just because I felt they were a little bit broken. But for the most part, like, it worked really well. And and that's what made it good. It's that everything that it did was just pretty darn good. And so I was happy with it. Well, it was really polished, and it was really slick. Uh, the last thing I want to say about this game was the gun shooting sequences. I mean, those were done quite well, too. The thing that kills it, again, for me, this is a new thing that kills it in a different way, <laughs> is that, right, like those gun sequences, they're fun to do. But the thing is, right, I'm so performance-minded that because I know that that one sequence I can never do again, I'll only do once, and it will only result in me advancing the story, and I will never get scored on it and never get a chance to practice and get better at it. And because of that, the only value that has is me to just get past it so I can see the story. And since I'm not interested in the story, I don't want to play anymore. Well, I didn't necessarily feel that way. I think like your performance, if you do well, you maintain more items in your inventory, which makes it easier to play later. Um, also, I decided I want to beat this in a certain way because um, there were different ways you could kill people or something. So yeah. there. I don't know. It we should all just play State of Decay, which is uh, the XBLA zombie title. It's a, like the first zombie survival mainstream game I've ever seen. I'm going to start charging for people to ask me to play zombie games. <laughs> I, I have not seen that game either. Anyway, we're at the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you, Tristan, for joining us. Is there oh, anything you, you want to pimp out while you have 10 seconds? Um, well, so I submitted a game to Indiecade this year, and I don't know if it's going to be um, successful, but it's called Stygian Shade, and it's available on IndieDB.com slash games slash Stygian Shade. It, you could check it out and download it. You are ridiculous. I'm sorry, what? Spell that because <laughs> okay. nobody knows what letters okay, are. Yeah, no, so words. we're going to change the name, by the way. Is there um, a simple page they can go to to find If you thing? go to IndieDB.com, um, you can look up my my username, Tristan Parrish, and you can find my game, Stygian Shade. It's a horror, an open-world horror game. And okay. it's also in the IndieCade submissions this year, so okay. hopefully... Is it better... Or worse than The Last of Us? Um, I think that would be a really unreasonable question for me to try to answer. How, how uh, dare you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Good night, guys. <laughs> You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember... All your base are belong to us.